Welcome to Overflowing Bookshelves, a podcast for people who love the written word. Could you spend hours browsing through a bookstore? Is your happy place curled up under a blanket with a good book or perhaps writing a story of your own? Are you constantly adding to your to-be-read list even though your bookshelves are already overflowing? If so, this podcast is for you. Tune in to hear authentic conversations with published authors about their creative process, path to publication, and advice for living your most fruitful and inspired life. I'm your host, Dallas Woodburn, and I'm absolutely delighted that you are here with us today. I am the author of the YA novels, Thanks Carissa for Ruining My Life and The Best Week That Never Happened, as well as the short story collections, How to Make Paper When the World is Ending and Woman Running Late in a Dress. I'm also a professional book coach and I'm passionate about helping people give birth to their own unique stories. You can connect with me at my website, dallaswoodburn.com and on Instagram and Facebook at Dallas Woodburn Author. Without further ado, let's dive into today's interview. Lisa Serena Michaud is a novelist and translator. Her debut novel, Slanted and Disenchanted, came out last year to rave reviews. Born and raised in Chelsea before a family relocation to Long Island, she has been writing her New York stories her entire life. Wanting to see the left coast, she attended the Evergreen State College before stumbling through adulthood in Hollywood, then back east to Brooklyn, and eventually Paris. Lisa's work has been featured in various publications. She currently lives in France with her husband, son, and cat. It was really fun to talk with Lisa. We rescheduled this podcast um, multiple times because of power issues, holidays, different things coming up. And so by the time we actually were able to get together and record this, it just felt like a dream come true to get to meet her and talk with her. And I know you're really going to enjoy her thoughts on the publishing journey as well as the writing life. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Lisa. I'm so happy to have you here. Hi, Dallas. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. We've like been trying to schedule this interview for a while. So I'm just so happy it's finally happening. And like I was telling you before we started recording, I just loved your book so much. And I'm so eager to hear all the behind the scenes, like sneak peeks about it and just about your process. Um, But maybe we can start off just by you giving us a sense of um, how you first fell in love with writing, like kind of your writing journey and how, um, how you decided that you wanted to be a writer. Well, I've been writing in my journal since I was seven. You know, I was given a journal um, with a little lock and key. And um, I wrote wrote about how much I had a crush on Fred Savage. I'm going to totally date myself right now. I used to watch The Wonder Years. And that was like my big juicy secret that I liked Fred Savage, um, (laughs) Kevin Arnold. And then I would just then I would just get into the habit of writing like stories of I grew up in New York City. So Um, I was constantly, you know, it's just, it was so stimulating. So I always had something to write about and everyone was very eclectic. New York City in the eighties was very, it was like a different world than, well, I actually heard New York City is kind of more like the eighties now, but you know, it was definitely like this post seventies kind of like, it's kind of weird vibe, but, um, I kind of absorbed all of that. And uh, I would just write these like short stories. And I remember my brother found 
my stories and he's like, you do weird things. Like, what is this? And I didn't have a word for it. I didn't know, you know, I was like seven or eight. I wasn't like, I'm writing short stories. I was like, I don't know. I just feel things and hear things in my head kind of, and I just write them out. And I guess I've been doing that ever since. I didn't think it could actually be a job though. You know, I thought it was like a, something you just did at home. And I worked in fashion in New York after my first real job. And I, uh, was still writing. But then when I moved to Paris, I just realized that I could do this for a living. So that's amazing. I I could relate to so much of what you said about just being a little kid and not even always realizing what exactly you're doing or how this would be something that you could do as a job, but just like loving it and almost like you can't even help yourself from telling those stories and writing them down. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe Maybe we could move on to hearing about a little bit about your novel. Do you want to just give us a little, you know, tell us a little bit about it? And I'd love to hear in particular with, with this book, like how this came to be, how you got the idea and how you began writing it. Well, okay. The novel is called Slanted and Disenchanted, which is um, a play off um, one of my favorite albums by Pavement called Slanted and Enchanted. And um, I liked the idea of, you know, being disenchanted at being 20, 21 years old, because that's how I felt. I didn't know what I was doing with my life. And, you know, you feel like it's like a fake adult time. You're an adult, but you're still living with your parents. And so it's a, he said, she said book, um, written in first person perspective between Carla, a 21 year old girl and Pete, a 21 year old guy. And they went to high school together, but they weren't friends. And, but they, realized that they have this uh, bond, this connection over music, and they start a little garage band. And the idea I had going into the writing the book is that I wanted the reader to be smarter than the characters. Mm. So I wanted them to see, you know, the different perspectives and how they see they're in the same situation, but how they experience it differently and how misunderstandings happen between people, whether based on experience, their backgrounds, their genders, And basically I want the reader to go, wait, no, that's not what she meant. And just kind of like shake the book. Yes. I got so, um, and the book sort of just came out of nowhere. I thought I was always going to write this great, like Paris memoir. And I, I did write it and it's sitting in my draft folder, you know, here. And this just kind of felt really natural. It kind of just came out of nowhere. And I finished the first draft in three months. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. I did want to just say, I love the structure of it. I personally love as a reader that he said, she said, you know, format where like you said, we, the, we, the reader are making connections and understanding things that the characters are missing. And you want to just like shout through the pages that the characters or explain things. But I, yeah, I love that sense of when you're reading that you, like you said, you're smarter than the characters or you are getting you're, you're getting things that they're missing. Um, it's really a neat reading experience. I feel like it helped me immerse myself even quicker into the story as well. Like having both of those perspectives. Um, I I think I just really connected with your characters right away. Maybe you can talk a little bit about developing characters. So it sounds like the first draft really came out so quickly when you were revising or was there any, um, like, do you have a process for, creating characters that seem um, so real? And is our main girl character based on you at all? Uh, Well, the first, well, okay, for the first draft, I follow follow the Anne Lamott, you know, um, idea of your 
eat first drafts. I don't want to curse on your <laughs> yeah. show, but uh, like in French, merdique, first drafts. And I just, you know, have the story in, you know, had the story in my head and I just pounded it out. I didn't care about structure. I didn't care about vocabulary. It was very, then they did this. Then they did that. She said that is very choppy. And um, then I let it sit for a few weeks. And then um, my husband prints it out and he like binds it and makes it into a little manuscript. And then I sit in bed and I read it and I see just how terrible it is, but I see where the story is going. It's just, it's like a roadmap. Mm -hmm. And then um, I do follow the save the cat um, structure, the three, the three act structure. I'm looking at my beat beats on my wall right behind me um, where I have act two of my second book um, mapped out already. And then I go in and then I rewrite it a little more carefully, but I do about four or five drafts before I send it to my editor because mm -hmm. I want her to have that best piece of work possible. And then she finds every, all the holes. She's And she's so great. She's like, you know, you said this here, but however, you know, you know, all the little holes you and someone else finds. Yes. The story is as tight as it can be. And it's, it never is. Um, I don't worry about spelling or grammar until really the end. Then I get someone else in who does like a full, like cleanup, mm -hmm. even when I feel like it looks good. Um, so that's the, the process. I mean, I just finished the, the book two, the first, uh, the first crappy draft and now I'm going in through uh the second the second revision right now which that's so kind of when the real work happens yeah yeah, yeah. well and the, I love how you talked about that too because I think sometimes people have questions about like when do I know it's ready to let it go or you know how much editing do I do before I pass it off to an outside editor so I love how you're talking about you know four or five drafts where you're, you're not worried about spelling or grammar or that stuff, but you're trying to make it like the best version that you can. But also I feel like there comes a point where you have to send it off to someone. You you could just keep rewriting the same book forever. And like, there has to be that point of letting go. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much, uh, yeah, that's it. I, I, and I don't have like an exact time when I know it's ready. I just think, I, I think when I'm just sick of the book, when I'm just like <laughs> sick of reading it, where I just need, I was like, where you just need someone else. It's kind of like somebody throws throw a life preserver now. Cause I, I can't read about these people anymore. I need yeah. something. I need an outside source. And then you get the beta readers and my husband has read this book so many times. Um, he's, he's great. And uh, he always picks up stuff because my husband, um, he, has poor eyesight. So I did take that from uh, Pete's character. He can't see that well. And sometimes, and I have pretty good eyesight and uh, my husband will be like, this doesn't make sense. He's nearsighted. And like, he'll catch these things. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, I was going to ask if you had, like, if he was helpful, you know, thinking about writing from a, a gender that's not yours, as far as writing Pete's perspective, like, was your husband helpful and yeah, and catching certain things or did he like inspire that character at all? He did help, yeah, with certain things. Like I had said at one point, Pete had said that someone was elegant. And my husband was like, oh, he's 20. No, no, no. He, <laughs> like, he said hot or, you know, cute. So I'm like, oh, okay. You know, I was writing it from like my old, you know, my mom perspective. I'm a mom. Um, but I did grow up with all boys. I have two brothers and I have seven boy cousins. So, I mean, the writing, the guy stuff was actually kind of easy. Tapping into like the sensitive girl stuff took a little more um, reflection. On my yeah. Heart. Yeah. Maybe you can talk about how, um, how her character is. We were talking a little bit before we started, um, recording, but just like how she's different from you in real life. 
Yeah, that's the question I get a lot because I'm I'm Italian American. I grew up in a family with all you know all boys. Um, I did. I went to high school on Long Island in the suburbs. My family had moved, and uh, so everyone thinks it's like based on me. A lot of the family situations, yes, uh, of typical Italian American Thanksgiving. We're going to have like the manicotti and the brujol and the prosciutto at the table, which has nothing to do with the feast. Um, but in terms of just like the character herself, I mean, no, it's I'm not her at all because I, I think I'm a little more outspoken and I probably wouldn't have let a lot of those situations that happened to her get mm-hmm. to the point, get to that point. You know, Pete's girlfriend, I would have said something a long time ago. Um, mm-hmm. The mom, I would have probably you know, acknowledge some, some, uh, injustices. So no, I actually related a lot more to Pete because I love all that nerdy, like rock music that he likes. I listen to fish. I listen to grateful dead and uh, I love jazz and my dad was a drummer. So, um, oh. I related, yeah, I related to him a little more, but I mean, at the end of the day, I am an Italian American girl who's, you know, comes from a family from Long Island. So Yeah, I think that's great how you talk about creating characters and it's sort of like putting little bits of yourself or maybe some almost like facts about your life, like into your characters. But then it seems like the character really grows from that into a much different person than you are. I think that's one of the joys of writing fiction as opposed to memoir is that we have these characters that start from us, but that just grow into these unique perspectives. And even like you're saying, acting in situations much differently than you would if you were in that situation. So how, how has it been having, um, the book out in the world? Maybe you could talk a little bit about, we talked a little bit about like the writing process of it and the editing process. So maybe now we can move into like the publishing process and kind of getting this book out into the world and how that journey was and and why you, um, decided to go with self-publishing. Well, um, all right. So I finished the book. I had, you know, the manuscript on, you know, on my desk. And actually the book, I wrote the entire series because it's a three book series. It's a three part series. I wrote the whole thing thinking it'd be one book. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then I was trying to query this. I wrote a query letter and I was like, this query is a little all over the place. I'm, we're jumping now we're in 2000, you know, nine and now we're in 2014. And I said, I looked at my husband, I'm like, I think I'm going to hack this up in three parts. I literally, I went in with like an ax and I chopped up the book in three different parts. And I said, I can't sell a series as a, as a debut novelist. I can't. And my husband goes, why don't we just start a small publishing house? And we did. And it's like a real thing. Like I have, we have an accountant, it's an LLC. I, you know, we had, um, there was like an ad that we had to put in a business journal in New York. Um, so we started um, a small publishing house called Barcord Press because Barcord, because I play guitar and I hate barcords because they're really <sighs> annoying. And so I always cheat the barcord or the guy that I play music with is another guitarist. I like just stop playing and I let him do it. And it's just, <laughs> challenging. And so we were like, let's call it Barcord Press because it's not going to be easy what we're what we're trying to do. And it's going to be a lot of work. We're going to wear a lot of hats. And when you do a barcord, you're like literally like, and I have small hands, you're like stretching your hand over the neck of the guitar and you're like really contorting your hand. And that's how I feel like starting a publishing house is, is like, you're just contorting your brain to be in like so many different directions from being like a publicist, uh, an accountant, a manager, uh, the writer, creative, um, 
So we decided to go that route and I haven't looked back. I, it's, it's so, it's fun between the Instagram accounts. Um, you know, we were on TikTok, which is hilarious because <laughs> I feel kind of too old for it, but we are actually having fun now that I know that I don't have to dance around. <laughs> so we decided to go that route and we really, it's been, uh, it's been a really, it's been rewarding because one, I got to choose my own cover for my book, which was really cool. Um, I have control over my Amazon page, which I know I have friends who are um, traditionally published and they are so frustrated because their Amazon page kind of looks like a graveyard. And, uh, I'm not saying that for everyone, but it's just, there's only so much manpower in a publishing house that they can't, you know, babysit each book that they're, mm-hmm. I think they're only really focusing on their new releases from the understanding I have from my other, my, my friends. Mm-hmm. So you're traditionally published, right? Yeah. I've, I've done both as well. And I think, yeah, I think that also the experience seems to vary so much with, um, with different publishing houses, but I do agree with what you're saying of having, um, so much control over the process when you're self-publishing. That's like, I've been so lucky that I've really loved the covers that my publishers have come up with for my books. But I know that if I didn't love the covers, that wouldn't matter, you know, cause they're the ones that choose them. So I think like you're saying about getting to choose your cover, um, and just have control over the process that it's really interesting to hear. And I'm so happy that you've loved, um, you know, wearing all of those hats and just learning so much about the process. I feel like from my experiences, self-publishing, it just taught me so much about the ins and outs of the industry that, um, that I think you just, you, you learn so much, from doing the hands-on work. It's, it's almost like there are some things that you can't really learn unless you're like trying to do it yourself. Yeah. The learning curve is very steep. I, I mean, I, I make the joke. I'm like, if I worked in a publishing house, I would have been fired like six months ago because I've made so <laughs> many mistakes and like expensive mistakes too, where I'm like, shoot, I should have waited and I should have done that. And now I have to redo something. I mean, second book is going to be a lot smoother and less expensive, but I mean, I made a lot of mistakes and it's just me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe that can tie into, I mean, because I think with um, the creative process too, I mean, I I, I talked to writers who it's like, and I think with our our brains and living where we are now, there's such an emphasis on like productivity and efficiency. And I think sometimes with creativity, we just want to get from point A to point B to point C and like have it be this very smooth trajectory. Um, but it's not, and that's, and there are mistakes that you're going to make and it's going to be messy. And do you have any thoughts, I guess, about just sort of the creative process, but also marketing, publishing, like kind of the, the messiness of that? I, I, you know, it's, I just feel like it's changing. It changes so rapidly from like, you know, are we doing hashtags or are we not? TikTok is very hashtag uh, centric, but now uh, Twitter is completely, that's gone. And Instagram, I feel like they're on its, on its way out, you know? So it's just social media is constantly changing. And the one thing, actually, I heard this on your podcast and I, it really resonated with me. One of your guests said, don't forget the social and social media, that it's about relationships. And you know, I, and you know, it's so obvious, but it's just sometimes like I follow other authors for support, but I just see them promoting too much and there's not enough engagement with their followers or just other people who are just in the, in the community. And it's just like, Hey, want to check out my book? And that's the tweet over and over. 
And when I heard your guest say that, I'm so sorry, I forgot the, uh, the name of this author. I just thought it was, I was, it's just such a reminder to be like, it's about engaging and you might not get a reader, but you engaged with a real life person who's in another part of the world. And I think that's really cool. Yes, I agree. It's all about connection. And I think, think thinking back to the beginning of our conversation, we were, you were talking about um, yourself when you were little and first like starting to write down in your journal. And I think that's where the impulse for me, like the impulse to write comes from is this wanting to connect with other people, with myself. And I think it's true that sometimes we lose sight of that with trying to sell our book or marketing or all, you know, sales numbers. And I I agree that getting back to that social part or the connection part, I think is where for me, so much of the satisfaction comes from. And just thinking about like every book you sell, that's a person out there who's reading your words and who's going like taking in your characters. I think of your characters that I read your book and now it's sort of like they live on in me. And that's just like a really, really cool, um, just such a cool thing about writing and, and publishing books. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Just having someone invest in, in your book. And it's not, you know, when you do like, uh, these like free promos, you're still asking for someone's time, you know, even though the book is for free or one ninety nine or whatever, um, you're still asking for someone's time and that's asking a lot. I, I think so, you know, so I def, I'm not too aggressive in pushing my, my book. Um, if there's news, of course uh, I share, but I do, yeah, I try and keep it social because, you know, I want people to know me as, as an author and then my work second. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a part of your life where it's just an integrated part. Um, could you talk just a little bit or will, um, I also want you to share how people can find you and connect with you, but maybe before you get into that, could you just share about, um, like looking back to the beginning of your journey as a writer, um, or maybe thinking about people who are listening, who are just getting started, or perhaps they're considering self-publishing their first book. Like, do you have any advice for people who are maybe feeling overwhelmed or discouraged in the process? Um, and just words of wisdom that you'd like to share for them? Sure. Um, well, the one thing is like when I get stuck, I just don't fear bad writing. Just don't be afraid to write something terrible. You know, I I pulled that actually in my book. Um, Carla tells Pete to write the worst rock song ever written. I love that part. I, that, yeah, but it, it really liberates you to write something great. And I, I actually have my writing prompt here. It says, write the worst story you've ever written because um, something might come out of it or not. And you can just, just, just write. Don't think of the reviews. Don't think of other authors. When I wrote my first Paris memoir, I was really concerned with the like expat community or mm. the uh, Francophile community that are, they're very expressive about how they feel about Paris. I feel like Paris is this like, um, I don't know, it's like this like child that everyone has. If you go to Paris, you had this experience and you, they, you know, people hold it really close to them that if you go off the track of, their idea of Paris, people get really upset. Mm. And I've written many articles and people didn't like that. I didn't like this arrondissement or I didn't like this cafe, whatever. And I just kept, as I was writing this memo, I kept thinking of these people. I'm like, oh, they're going to hate this. Oh. And it stunted the the process big time because I was thinking of the reader more than I was thinking about myself. And you should think of your readers, but I think for your first draft, just get it out. So just don't, don't be afraid of bad writing ever. 
write the worst story you've ever written. I love that advice. That is so freeing. And just to get it down on the page and then um, you can always work with it. I had one of my favorite writing teachers, um, Amy Bender. She used to say, um, you can't edit a blank page, which, you know, it's so true. Once you get something on the page, then at least you have something you can work with and edit to make it better. So I just love that. Um, well, Lisa, it's been so fun talking with you and, um, thinking about social and connection, like where can our listeners find you and connect with you and find your books? Uh, well, my books are, are wide, so you can find them on Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble, Waterstones. Um, we also work with IndieBound. So if you want to get it at a local independently owned bookshop, which I am very enthusiastic about, um, you can just type in your uh, zip code and the closest independent bookstore will, um, will order it. Um, but you know, Amazon, and then I am on all social media platforms and I'm Lisa C. Mashad, M-I-C-H-A-U-D, um, at Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. Yeah. Great. And I will link to those two in the show notes. That's wonderful. Um, well, great. And um, those of you listening, if you want to head on over to our Patreon page, Lisa is going to read an excerpt from Slanted and Disenchanted and also give um, talk about her writing prompt. And so you can head on over to patreon.com slash Dallas Woodburn to get that bonus info. Thank you so much, Lisa. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for spending time with me today on Overflowing Bookshelves. If you enjoy this podcast, it would mean so much if you take a few minutes to write a review on iTunes or Stitcher to help other writers and book lovers find out about us. If you are kind enough to share this episode on social media, be sure to tag me at Dallas Woodburn Author on Instagram or Facebook. I love to surprise my listeners with fun prizes like free books and other literary swag. Also, I would love to hear your thoughts on the show and your ideas for future guests. Please visit my website, dallaswoodburnauthor.com to connect with me and offer your suggestions. Until next time, happy reading. Happy reading.